Hello, welcome to Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to spread a little bit of democracy. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And the good news is there's a new game that everybody's fucking, that everybody's fucking talking about, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Helldivers. Two. Diving through, diving through hell for democracy, okay? Yeah. Um... It's a third-person shooter. I believe the first one was a top-down shooter, um, which is maybe why it didn't make as much of a splash. It was a PvE shooter. Um, and uh, it's captured the hearts and minds of lots of people. It's got, like... Th this is part of why we were talking about uh, Starship Troopers, I think, uh, last week. Like, I am... I cannot confirm this, but I am, like, 90% sure that the reason that Starship Troopers made its way back into the discourse is that Helldivers is, like... An even more over the top version of Starship Troopers in terms of uh, kind of like the uh, you know propaganda ish type stuff. Um, so yeah, but the game is fun, buddy. Are you enjoying this game? Yeah. Okay. I actually have never looked at Helldivers one, but it is a top down shooter, which is interesting. Um, it's really interesting that they kind of went from that they kind of went from one to uh, from one to the other. Um, yeah, I have been having a very good time with Helldivers, and Helldivers feels very vindicating in, in a couple of different ways. Um, it feels like a good sort of um, uh, example of a number of like different, I guess I would call them principles that I've had about sort of like gaming in you know however long in in recent times, I guess you would call it. Um, and so. It, it, I, I'm sort of unsurprised by its success, uh, but it's also very cool that it has become so, you know, it's become so successful. Yeah. Um, so you are you are the big PvE shooter guy out of the two of us. Um, you know, I dip my toes in occasionally. You get me into, like, Dark Tide. You got me into Dark Tide and um, occasionally Payday. Um, so how does this measure up for you as compared to like those games, right? Um, um, I think it measures up pretty well. It's it's okay. Maybe I would say, you know, the very best of these um, have a couple of different like qualities that I think Helldivers Two definitely has. Um, the most cogent one being objectives, right? I think when horde shooters are just about killing guys right like surviving the wave that's kind of when they're at their least fun and interesting um and there are some games that are good and can get kind of to the other side of that sort of like hurdle like i played a ton of the mass effect 3 multiplayer right which is essentially just this it was just waves on waves of guys there were objectives like every couple of rounds you had a very simple objective but it was like stack on a point Right. Or, you know, kill a certain, you know, kill a certain bad guy, that kind of thing. Um, this is very different than that, I would say, um, because the real core of it is to, you know, successfully complete the the objectives and then uh, extract. Right. And then get get the hell out of there. Um, and so that's something that I think is, is pretty, is pretty core to the experience, right? In the same way that like, you know, identifying the little plasma things in dark tide is pretty core to the experience, right? Or, um, I don't know, what are some other examples of like dark tide objectives that we would have, we would do? I can't even think of them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. For me, dark tide started to feel samey after a little while. Um, 
Have you ever played like COD Zombies? Yeah, COD Zombies would be a really good example of this uh, kind of inaction, I would say. Yeah, because COD Zombies is mostly about waves and it's about surviving as long as you can. But there are like many objectives that are also often kind of shrouded in mystery. Like that's kind of the appeal is like there's layers to peel back. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, um, what, what games have you had? You've had me play Payday 2 and mm. what was the one with like the several different classes that was like killing, uh, killing uh, floor, uh, maybe? Oh, Killing Floor. Yeah, actually, Killing Floor. Um, yeah, Killing Floor would actually be a good example of this. I loved Killing Floor for, for a while. We got really into Killing Floor. Um, but that one was basically just uh, sort of horror, like surviving like hordes and waves. I think that certain games can get get to the other side of that in a way. Um, and one of the ways they do that is through enemy variety. This is actually true for, for Mass Effect, I think. The thing that made the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer was uh, interesting was sort of a combination of variety factors, right? You had enemy variety, which was there are a lot of different types of enemies requiring you to fight them in a lot of different kinds of ways. And knowing how to do that was pretty fun and engaging. Um, and I think that's kind of how Killing Floor works. Um, you know, Killing Floor, you have uh, sort of a certain... I don't even know what I would call it. You'd have... you'd, you'd it, It's almost like a metagame, I guess. Um, you have, like, a certain sort of setup that can deal with different kinds of threats, right? Um, so being able to deal with, uh, you know, I don't know, the... the what, I, I can't remember the names of these, like, zombie types, uh, but, like, they're the big chargy guys that have the metal hands, that kind of stuff, versus, um, you know, the the um, normal guys, like, the just regular zombies who you, you know, you pop their head like a zit kind of thing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and I guess the other big, like, this game has has some, like, relatively creative objectives, right? Like, you know... Um, breaking down things in like, um, actually, so something some for people at home that don't know, um, come a couple of the core mechanics or one of the core mechanics is these things called stratagems, which is um, essentially you can call in support from your orbital ship, but it involves pressing a button and then inputting a, you know, a, a cheat style type code uh, that's on the screen. Um, and the amount of stress that's at, like difficulty there is actually doing that while you're in the heat of a battle is super interesting. They use that mechanic also for the map objectives, right? Like, in order to extract, you have to put in one of these codes in order to, like, you know, do some of the side objectives, you have to put in these codes. And I think that's actually a, a really neat thing. Essentially, you've taken somebody out of the action. There's a couple of games that do, have done this. Like, we, um... Dark Tide does this, right? Yeah, uh, with, the, with the little... You know, thing you got to go back yeah, and forth. Yeah. You have one person who's just like trying to hit the thing, and all around them is like the the you know you can hear like the, the sounds of carnage and stuff like that. I do think that that's like a really effective kind of pair of uh, mechanics on top of each other. Yeah, and something I will say is that like I I appreciate the way that Hell Divers does it because it's the 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 thing about Dark Tide is that like the the thing scanning back and forth, and based on pure luck. You could be like, oh, the next line is, you know, further away, right? Here, you don't have that limitation, right? You can always, you can always immediately advance the next thing, but you might just screw it up because you're bad, right? So, 
uh, that feels like it's a lot more on you and a lot less kind of like based on on random luck, which I think is. Yeah, I also like the memorization piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, I've talked about the process of sublimation for right. for like World of Warcraft before, right? Where you know um, you are you are making it subconscious to do your rotation so you can focus on like other kind of stuff. The uh, the speed with which I sublimated some of those commands where now I feel like if I want orbital strike to happen, I can just I like I can just do it and I don't even think about it. Do you know what I mean? Because just like I've done it a couple of times and that's all I really needed to be able to whip the stratagem into, you know, a crowd of guys um and get them all blown up from from air basically do you know what can you say it off the top of your head because i think i can it's uh it's right right down right i thought it was upright was right it... uh i don't i always thought uh, maybe, I, maybe, maybe, I, maybe i've maybe been maybe playing with the eagle strike too much because I, I i swapped out eagle strike for uh uh little strike input helldivers i wonder if it's different per person right like if it's cons uh, that would be interesting do that no, is not uh do, do orbital what orbital precision what strike is right at right right up so oh okay yeah yeah so right right up is different than what i was i said right, right yeah down. i also i had it backwards i said upright right i believe <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah uh so yeah but but you know that's the thing right like if it sublimates right you don't you don't have to know it like you know Autumn, you know, in your head, you can just kind of do it and, like, you know, go back and think to it. This is, this is actually reminds me a lot of, like, fighting game stuff, right? Like, you know, um, the DP input, especially on a, uh, a hitbox style input, um, a leverless input style input, is kind of like, like, I couldn't describe it. And, like, occasionally you have to go back and look at it to make it a little bit more consistent on my end. But, like, it's kind of like mm -hmm. a muscle memory thing, right? It's kind of like, you know, it's some combination of forward and down in a way that's slightly different than than the than down forward, which is which is you know your quarter circle forward for uh, a Hadoken, and I can do it pretty consistently, but it's like um, not a thing that I consciously think about. Um, yeah, so the stratagems I think are definitely a piece of kind of the um, the overall picture, right? Especially because the different ways I think cooldowns are a pretty important game mechanic at this point um, for most titles. It seems like the idea of a cooldown, a big powerful ability that you know you can use once every twenty seconds, every minute, every six minutes, whatever the whatever the sort of thing is, um, is pretty like fundamental game design that's in a bunch of different places, right? And one of the things that I kind of think is universally true is that if you have a cooldown. You want to put it on cooldown, right? right? This is something that WoW teaches you, right? Don't hold your cooldowns. Spend them. B spend them as quickly as possible, basically. Um, because the odds are that you are going to get, you know, one of the things that people, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people who, like, want to get good at Mythic Plus. Um, and one of the things that I tell them is use your cooldowns, right? Uh, yeah. People have this feeling of, like... It's almost like hoarding potions in Skyrim, where it's like, oh, I'm gonna wait, you know, I'm gonna wait for this special, you know, Goldilocks. I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna use it on these three guys. It's like just use it on the three guys. It'll be off cooldown faster, and you're gonna get in more over the course of the dungeon, right? Like if I'm if I'm using Bladestorm every time it's up in a dungeon, I am using more Bladestorms than if I set up Bladestorm for a perfect Bladestorm, you know, and wait 20 or 30 seconds, yeah. right? 
Plus, plus, I feel like that's like the right model, right? Like maybe at like you know your very high level keys, right? Like, don't worry, I'll use my cooldowns right before I lost every time. I, I am definitely, definitely feel that. But like, this I is, have, I've made that mistake so many, so many times. Yeah, um, but I, I, I think, I think you've kind of got like, like that's like the right starting point, right? Is like use all your yeah. cooldowns immediately. Maybe at higher level keys or in particular raid fights, right? It's like I will hold. Right, like, or you know, delay by like twenty seconds or so. But you figure that out. You start from the from the position of it. Use them all at once. Use them all immediately, and then you change that as you need to. Yeah. You have you ever seen the Venn diagram? That's like the brain dead person, the normie. At the, it, at the, the, not a Venn diagram. I'm right, talking it's the, the bell, bell curve. curve. Yeah, 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 and then on the far end is like the smart. That's yeah. sort of what it's like. Yeah, yeah. You know, the brain dead person's like hold your cooldowns. This the the middle person is like use your cooldowns on cooldown, and then the the you know far person is hold your cooldowns because that is actually true. Something that I do do in high level Mythic Plus is I hold my cooldowns, but for um, very specific moments, right? So you know, damage phases when you need to beat a damage check, right? You know, I'll hold my cooldowns for that because like that, at when when you're pushing high keys. If you don't use your cooldowns that that way, you'll like you'll wipe kind of thing. Um, yeah. uh, it's uh, funny. I thought you were gonna go opposite with that. It's like you know, dumb person's like unga bunga use cooldowns. Middle person's like, no, I need to hold it for the correct moment. Wise person is like, just use your fucking cooldowns, right? Unga bunga. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think in Helldivers, you know, it's probably like a like a similar thing, right? Like, yeah, I feel like I'm constantly trying to put stuff on cooldown and get really effective use out of it as often as I possibly can. Yeah, and I, I think your point, like, this is an important part of design. I think I think maybe MOBA started to popularize this. I think the thing you, you talk about, like hoarding potions in the scrum, I think this is like a long had problem, right? Where it's like if it's an actual consumable resource, you are going to, um, you're going to be more. Uh, uh, when I say consumable, when it's like a limited resource, you need more uh, incentivized to hold on to it because you need it for the perfect moment, right? And if you use it too early, then you'll never get it back. But when it's on a cooldown, you theoretically have unlimited uses of it. It's just gated by time. Um, and so I think even in the limited resource version of things, the answer is, you know, use your limited resources more frequently. But it's like a thing that's like harder to do psychologically. So from like kind of like a game teaching you how to do it point of view, I think the cooldowns help with that, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel that 100%. I mean, I've been playing a lot of uh, a lot of Grime recently, and there's a bunch of consumables in that game. And I have this feel, uh, like, it's not even like, um, it's not even like I'm intentionally doing it. I just have this feeling of like, do I need to use consumables to beat this boss? If the answer is no, then I'm going to hold them, right? Because it would otherwise kind of like be a waste or whatever. And I think that that's just like a bad, that like that's a bad framework that comes out of kind of obsessing about consumables, at least consumables in a way that they're not like, you know, effectively infinitely replenishable, right? You know, in WoW rating, I also use consumables, but because I can go on the auction house and buy 100,000 pots if I wanted to, um, you know, uh, it's never going to matter. Uh, Lou in the chat says, what day is it? When am I? Um, I am <laughs> occupied tomorrow night, and uh, and so we decided to do this early. Uh, um, but uh, uh, but yeah, no, I, I I agree with you there. I think I think specifically in terms of like the soul, like the grind, which is which I will say is a souls like um, when you do a souls like a vacation episode at some point. There's like a different calculus there because um, uh, like if you attempt if you're doing a bunch of attempts on a single boss 
and you're using a consumable every time and you run out of that consumable and you've been developing your strategy around that consumable, you can't do that anymore. Um, this is like – like souls have a slightly different thing because it's built around like running the same thing over and over again in – yeah. Um, also, there's kind of like a, you know, idealized way to play the game is to parry every strike and not use any consumable ever, right? Like, in the, you know, beat it at level zero or whatever, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. Part of that is about, like, risk aversion in a way. Like, can you – like, how much risk are you willing to accept? Um, and part of that gets mitigated by your, your choice to use permanent um, consumables, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, but to bring it back – Back to Helldivers, I do agree that, like, the, the stratagem kind of system, which is, like, you get a handful of mission ones, which is, like, there's universally a resupply, there's universally a reinforce, there's universally an SOS beacon if you have less than four people, which lets you, like, tell people, like, hey, please join me. Um, and then you get four to choose of your own. Um, and there's a lot of variety there. And you can build up for each mission. I like that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I actually think that that's, like, super... A super interesting thing to do, especially, like, I think it's a little bit slow in in the beginning, right? Like, I still only have, like, a couple of minor choices to make at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess it's part of the model, right? Is you have to, like, space these things out in order for it to, to make sense. Um, yeah, it's funny. The more I play these games, the more I find myself frustrated by these, like, early missions. I talked about this a little bit with Darktide, where part of the frustration with Darktide is that Darktide sucks until Darktide is really fun, right? Which is, like, the first, like, maybe I would call it, like, the first, like, 15 levels of Darktide on any class. You just, you feel like a wet noodle. Your, your stuff isn't coming together. You don't have the gear. Like, you know, your weapons are so low quality that like the gunplay is sort of purposefully bad and i do kind of hate that about um about these kinds of games um hell divers has this issue but this issue is centered sort of around um i guess i would call it like i don't know like generic ness right i w uh, to, to frame this another way this is probably where i think hell divers is maybe kind of at its worst in a way um one of the things that's that's really fun and fascinating about a game like Dark Tide is being able to play the game from wildly different perspectives, right? When I am playing a Zealot Preacher using a, a, a Thunder Hammer, right, I am playing a pretty fundamentally different experience than playing a veteran with a Laz Rifle, right? You know, one of these is, is encouraging me to stay back, is encouraging me to snipe, um, is encouraging me to kind of like, you know, take it slow. The other one is encouraging me to push forward, right? Be in the front lines, always be attacking, always be hitting things, that kind of stuff. Uh, the issue I sort of have with the early game of Helldivers is it forces you to just kind of this generic, almost like I would call like Soldier 76 build, yeah. right? You know, um, and it, you know, even picking up the antimateriel rifle, which theoretically turns me into something of a sniper, which I guess I've kind of been enjoying because I'm bringing it all, like all my missions, right? Um, it hasn't. It still hasn't sort of like given me the 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 feeling that I really want, um, which is to kind of specialize by class in order to have sort of roles and balancing. Because one of the things that I think works particularly well in these sorts of PVE shooters is to have different people with different roles filling out a sort of party in like a D and D sense, right? You yeah. almost have you know your melee, your tank, your healer, right? Like that kind of stuff. Um, and I think a lot of the other PVE you know, shooters kind of excel at this um, in ways that Helldivers hasn't 
maybe yet. Um, but we also haven't gotten there, so I can't really like know yeah. or say that uh, you know definitively. I, I will say that this is a thing that I, I've been thinking about because like the the weapon advancement is battle pass style is the way I will put it, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, you unlock individual weapons with unlocks on the pass, and like this is something that I I, I missed from Dark Tide, right? Is you get weapon drops, right, and like they can be different that way. And you can kind of like immediately get a little bit of build variation, which you don't get here. Right? There are no, there are no drops in Helldivers. Everything's kind of deterministic from like a loot perspective, right? Like the the different resources you get to to bring up the stuff, right? Is like on the second or third page of the normal kind of advancement pass, there is a marksman rifle, right? And on the first page, there's a shotgun. And I assume that those help things feel differently. Um, like I picked up the shotgun a couple times when like. You know, somebody else we were playing with was using it and dropped it when they died. And it was like, oh, I'll give it a shot just to see what it's like. Um, and th those do feel different, but it's not like it feels like you're intentionally specializing, especially because, like, everybody's kind of gated at the same point, if that makes sense, right? Like, um, everybody has access. Everybody pretty quickly will get access to the shotgun, but it's not like you can choose the shotgun or the marksman rifle. It's, it's all kind of gated behind the same thing, at least initially. Um yeah, I also think that um, part of that there is it's a trade-off, right? There's, yeah. there's kind of like an upside and a downside. The upside to this is that we walked into pretty high difficulty um, matches without an insane amount of trouble. Uh, we did complete we completed that hard mission, right? Yeah, because that was like the crazy mission we did, right? Um, well, maybe we can talk about that one in a minute. But um, but really, the thing that like in in a game like Dark Tide or a game like Payday, the point of those games is to walk up a difficulty chain, right? Or it's the same thing with Diablo Four, same thing with like Warcraft, like Mythic Plus keys, right? Whatever. the The point is, you do the content. Content gives you power. Power makes you do higher level content that's the loop essentially um helldivers because the the first gun you start with is sort of balanced in a way to be a good gun yeah right um you can kind of walk up the difficulty ladder immediately and we sort of did that i actually sort of felt like uh i guess it's 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 trivial easy medium challenging hard is that yeah what's, is yes, the, really, yeah yeah like when we did that challenging mission that felt fine right the hard mission felt very very hard right um and we i would probably say that we got some level of carried by you know two randos who were higher level or whatever and it was all this other kind of stuff um but um you know, I can definitely see a, a situation where even at level five or six, which is kind of where like you and I are at, we're just farming things at challenging, uh, just because like that is the that's like the difficulty that we we feel pretty confident that we can um, work with, right? Um, yeah, and well, so I'm definitely. I would say let, let's examine that for a second because I think that's like an interesting thing to bring up, right? Like there's mm -hmm. not so it, you can split things into kind of like what I will call um, hard power. And kind of like, like which is like straight improvements and um, like check. I'm gonna call it check gating and um, side grades, right? Like a lot of stuff is sure. side grades, right? Like the the assault rifle versus the shotgun is like a pure side grade, right? Um, there is what I'm gonna call check gating is this thing where like you know until somebody can reliably bring an armor piercing thing, there are some missions that will be hard if not impossible because the only way to kill an armored thing 
is to, um, you know, like either dodge around, like some most things have a weak spot that you can dodge around, or, um, uh, or like an orbital strike, or like land a reinforcement pot on the thing, which is like not reliable at all. Um, uh, so like those things, I think are like what I call a check gate. Like as soon as you get access to that, it's it's pretty good. You can get that pretty early. Um, there is a little bit of hard power, right? Like I haven't unlocked any of them yet, but like the things that require um, samples, right? Those are straight improvements, right? Like, you know, the thing that like reduces a cooldown or reduces, you know, increases the power of your, they're all like stratagem based. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that like those, and though they're all eventually unlockable. So that's like a straight power curve, I guess. But like, um, those are, I, I suspect, the difference between, like, a challenging and a hard rather than... But, like, like you said, most of the things uh, are, like, relatively completable by new people, which is interesting, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly how I feel about that. Do you, you, you have... Do you yeah, I also have complicated feelings because I think um, challenge is sort of, like, relative. Actually, I, I found Helldiver is pretty fun, but I think it's probably pretty easy. If I'm being honest, which is kind of wild, but like when I ch when I compare the challenge of Helldivers to the challenge of high level Payday Two or high level Dark Tide missions, right? Um, even high level like Mass Effect Three kind of like multiplayer missions, um, I uh, I think it's easier. I think that it's kind of fundamentally an easier game, and I think part of that is just due to sort of some of the other aspects of like the game's nature, right? The ability to kind of like kite stuff around, um, and some of the 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 ways that you can kind of avoid conflict if you if you choose to avoid conflict, that kind of thing. Um, but I also think maybe that's quietly better. You know, one of the things that's funny is, uh, you know, I've talked about Ghostcrawler before. Um, Ghostcrawler was the game director of World of Warcraft for a long time. He had a thread on Twitter years after he left the World of Warcraft team where he wanted to talk about heroic dungeons, okay? Basically, World of Warcraft Classic had re created a new um, game mode called Heroic Plus Dungeons, for Wrath of the Lich King Heroic Dungeons. Um, and he was kind of talking about how it was really interesting to sort of like make that choice and make that decision. Um, and he wrote a whole thread about how um, it's counterintuitive because players say they want challenging content. When players do trivial content, it makes them churn from the game a lot of the time. Um, ch I'm churned, I'm sorry, they like drop the game. They, they, they like they stop playing kind of thing, right? Um, but when we gave players a real challenge, um, they just stopped doing the content. And what he's referring to is in Wrath of the Lich King, heroic dungeons were famously easy. I used to run them, you know, with Lou, friend Lou in the chat, right? Like I used to run them, we would pull all of the trash onto the boss and then AOE it down. And we would just do that four times basically. And that was the, that was how we like ran these fucking dungeons. Right. Um, and in Cataclysm, they were famously hard. They were really, really, like, the heroic dungeons that were released at the Cataclysm launch were incredibly challenging, incredibly difficulty. Um, and he, what he describes is players said they wanted that challenge of the Cataclysm dungeons, and then they 
stopped doing the content. And he said, and no matter what we tried, we couldn't get players to do heroic dungeons basically after that point. Um, we're seeing a very similar thing now in, in WoW terms. Um, basically, Season 3 of World of Warcraft in, Myth, in Mythic Plus is, an, is, is quote-unquote an easy patch. This is something you'll see all the time over like Mythic Plus places, right? Um, this is basically the easiest patch of Mythic Plus basically ever. And I can attest to that, right? We got to, you know, 2500s. We got to our portals much faster this season than we did last season. Last season, we struggled in some of these 20s. Now, 20s are like, I, I'm doing it in, in my sleep, practically, right? Um, and somebody has been, pu somebody pulls the numbers every week to show the number of Mythic Plus runs um, that happen every week. Normally, it's about a million, right? It's about a million Mythic Plus runs that happen every single week in, um, in WoW. At the 14-week point of this um season which is about it was maybe like halfway through kind of the season we expect um we have run more total mythic plus dungeons than the entirety of season two which was famously a hard season for mythic plus right which seems to suggest people want mythic plus to be easy right they want mythic plus to be a reliable thing that they can get on and they can complete these keys and they can farm them and all this other sort of stuff um and i think Helldivers has uh is is probably more proof of this in action right um it's a pretty forgiving game it's a game where you know you can be a level five kind of idiot walking into an atom a child you know like a max a hard automatons fight or whatever without of out of you know coordination with two other members of your squad you deplete all of your reinforcements um but you still complete the mission because you know you're able to avoid combat you're able to drop combat um you're able to approach things kind of in like a in like a clever way um and maybe maybe that's why it's so fun um yeah yeah i mean i don't i don't know if i completely agree with that like that mission that we went through was kind of brutal right like you know it was not the most fun thing in the world, right? Like, especially, like, once we depleted all the resources and we had to um, kind of, like, struggle to, like, to finish it out. Um, uh, but I think, I, I definitely think your point is, is is relatively well taken. I also think we haven't seen, like, the upper echelons of the difficulty, right? Like, you know, mm. we have just cracked kind of, like, the middle tier. There's, like, a whole third type of sample that we haven't even seen yet, right? Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, so... My, my guess is that it, but I think the thing you're pointing to is that like, it is like, like we've talked about this, but like I talked about this last week with like Diablo, right? Or Diablo, uh, which Diablo are we on now? Four? Four. Um, yeah, yeah. Diablo three, like those riffs, right? Like the way to play it was typically farm it, like play riffs at the level that you could reliably clear it easily, not push rift levels, right? Um, and I think that that's can you can you guys hear can you hear that can you hear Colin? Yeah, yeah. Me? What's up? <laughs> I think I think he I think he wants me to leave so he can poop. But you know, I'll <laughs> I will uh, I will deal with that later. Um, but um, uh, sorry, my my uh, my point is going to be is like having a ladder to climb that has at all levels a point that's relatively easy that makes it worth it right like my 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 guess for mythic pluses and this you know i've i've thought about maybe jumping into mythic plus at some point is like by making the higher echelons easier you can get the the loot right like i am right now capped by heroic loot because all i do is raid right um and like i guess i could grind those out enough that i could get enough crests that i could trade them up um but i'm 
probably not going to do that anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, but like theoretically, this is true, uh, actually. One of the things that we talk about all the time in Mythic Plus is like the value of 11s and the value of 18s, right? Um, 11s are the first tier that you can get worm crests, right, to upgrade gear. So one of the things that you do is, um, is when you get kind of worm gated, you just farm 11s. For like a year you just sit there and you just churn a million of them they each take 10 minutes and you do them enough until you get all the worm crests you need to upgrade all your gear and then when you need to farm aspect crests you farm 18s because 18s are the first tier that you get aspect crests after after every dungeon um but also um the first tier that you get mythic track gear in the vault right um so this is the highest kind of like tier of gear that you can get in sort of um in sort of the vault and i think that does motivate a lot of how we approach kind of like mythic plus right obviously i've done a lot of pushing this season um i'm you know like baron is the number one warrior on the server you know like top 100 us kind of thing um but like the sort of reality is that you know, at a certain point, we I just had a whole conversation with people about this last night. It's like, I don't want, I don't want to push anymore. There's no reason for me. There's like no, there's nothing to gain by pushing more. I have all the portals. I have, you know, Keystone Hero. I have Keystone Master. I have the mount. Right? Like all that stuff is already done at this point. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the point for pushing at that point would be because you can and it's a thing you find fun, right? Like mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, you know, speed running a game, right? Like there is no reason to try and beat super mario brothers in under like you know two minutes or whatever the timer's at now right like you just you do it because it's you know it's a personal thing that you enjoy right same thing yeah. with, with mythic plus you want to push higher keys because you think you can not because there's an extrinsic reward to it and one of the things that i think is interesting about difficulty is also like something i've said you know like i walked into an 18 on my holy paladin i never played holy paladin before i but we just needed a healer and i wanted to play my paladin so i was like fuck it i'll you know rip a talent off a, you know like a, a thing of talents and i'll heal this 18 and we did that and we timed it actually funnily enough it was just like if you are a if you are a player like, okay, really what I'm describing is part of the difficulty is just about learning the dungeon, right? right? And that happens agnostic of your class, right? Like, you can just learn the dungeon on anybody. I know what the agnostic damage phases the are. Agnostic too, right? Like, at some level? like Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, you know, because I know the dungeons well, I can walk into some, you know, keys at, like, really low item levels. You know, like, I something I've said before is that, like, you can do up to, like, 15s or 16s. Just like with like a fresh character, if you wanted, um, we once tried this in Shadowlands. We we leveled a bunch of new characters together, um, and we just pushed them as far as we could go, and we got to like I think level thirteen in like basically quest screens, right? Um, just by just by knowing the dungeons, just by kind of like having kind of good fundamentals. And one of the interesting things about Helldivers is I don't think we have good fundamentals. We don't know the dungeons. We don't know the maps. We don't know like all of this you know stuff. I had never fought a Hulk before. I had never known what the prop you know, appropriate way to deal with a Hulk is, right? Um, but we were still, like, able to get, you know, kind of, like, up there and start farming stuff. Um, or not farming stuff, um, and start completing missions. Uh, because, you know, the, the power portion of that is, is much more truncated, right? In something like Mythic Plus, you know, you're going to get 40 or 50% of your power just by going from eye level, like, 420. I think it's actually 60, right? Because each item level... It represents about 1% player power. So, um, 
by going from eye level 420 to eye level 480, you are getting 60% of your player power. There's nothing even close to that in Helldivers. In Helldivers, right, maybe you have better options or maybe you have, you know, I don't know, like a, a 10% reduced cooldown or something like that um, for some of your stratagems. But, like, at the end of the day, the antimaterial rifle is still going to hit for the damage that it's going to hit for. And that's true at level 6 and that's true at level 20, right? Right. Yeah, no, and, and it's just a matter of, like, you know, I think the lower stuff are more generalized tools and, like, you know, um, the power you're going to get is if you plan for missions. Like, oh, there will be this thing and I will take this specialized tool that will let me deal with the specialized enemy better. And I don't have to worry about this other type of specialized enemy because I'm not, like, you know, I'm fighting automatons instead of, like, they're not Tyranids. They're called, like, Tyranids. Or the, it's basically Terminids, yeah. What? Terminids. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, 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 like Tyranids with the, with the, you know, the numbers filed, the serial number filed off. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's. Do you know what the third faction is? I do not. Um, I okay. know that there was something in Helldiver, like the Hel in Helldivers one, there was a third faction, but I just am unaware of it. Um, um, okay, I think the other thing that makes Helldivers special. This is I, I've that I'm sort of shitting on Helldivers a little bit by talking about some of this like difficulty stuff. But um, something oh, else I want to say. So real quick, Arahi in the chat says Zerg. I have I have heard that the third faction is effectively Protoss. So there's that. Oh, that's actually kind of pog. Um, uh, one other thing I want to talk about with with Helldivers is the nature of the open world missions. I actually think the, if, if there's any true innovation to Helldivers that's making it successful, to me it's this. A lot of players get really um, on board and sort of interested in, I think... Um, these sort of big open world games, right? Uh, you know, it's something that, that I, you know, it's kind of like a 2010 thing that, like, gamers were kind of like, complaining about was, like, open worldification of you, stuff. You where you just have, like, a bunch of... Yeah, like, Ubisoft Towers. It's just, like, a bunch of little, like, shit to do on your map. The innovation that Helldivers seems to bring you is that some of the missions, not all the missions are like this, some of the missions are just you go into a big open map and there's just, like, a bunch of little things you can do. You know, like, you just run around with your bros and... You you align a radio tower that gives you a hundred bucks or like fifty experience or whatever that you like whatever it is and the idea is you kind of snake your whole way around and do all of these side you know side objectives you clear out bug nests you you know uh, open like little vaults or whatever until you get to um, you know until you get to kind of like the main aspect of of sort of the missions and this is where Helldivers is at its coolest right. The most fun I had playing Helldivers, and unfortunately you, were, you weren't here for this one, was when you went to bed and Gavin took your spot and we did a big um, automaton submission. Um, and it was the first time I had ever seen Outposts. It was the first time we had ever done, um, you know, it was the first time we'd ever done Outposts. It's the first time we'd ever done the radio tower thing. And we were just like, we were just snaking around the map and we were doing, we, you know, we were kind of like going kind of piece by piece. But it reminded me of the fun I have when I, when I do an Outpost in uh, Far Cry five right um you know it's like doing that with friends basically is right. what is what hell divers feels like um and i think that that's you know that's really cool that's really awesome um and uh i th there th there's a there's a lot to be said for um the way in which it trusts you to have fun with longer more in-depth missions than um, you know, something that is, I think, I think, let me frame this another way. I think one of the reasons that Darktide felt samey after a certain point is because you memorize the missions. 
you 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 inter you sublimate the missions at a certain point, right? And uh, we have maybe maybe you can do that in Hell Divers, and maybe you know in a week we'll be like, okay, actually, never mind. I've sublimated the shit out of these missions or whatever. Um, but for now, the process of exploring the map, finding a bonus objectives, and getting you know stuff like samples or whatever, like that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I I think there's two things here. One, which is that. Um, the maps are kind of random, right? Like, you can tell when you look at them. It's like a bunch of assets that are, like, you know, copy-pasted at different points, right? They're different kind of, like, things. And that works, right? It works for the setting, right? It's, it's, it's like, you know, these are space planets with prefabricated installations, right? So it makes sense that they all look the same. Um, but even then, the fact they're not in exactly the same place, I think, makes a difference. Um, and on top of that, the thing you're talking about with Dark Tide is that the objectives are, like... They're the sweet spot of like generic, like they're generic, but like openly generic. This is not going to make sense, but like every time you do like the mission with the skull in like the servitor in Dark Tide, it's like literally the exact same thing, right? Um, like you're you're walking through the same environment, you're hitting the same buttons, and like you know maybe a console is moved from like you know two of the three places are swapped around or something. Right. But they're like, you know, you know where those three, those three spots are. And it's going to be two of those three spots um, in uh, in this game. You know, they're like on an eggs mission. The eggs are going to be somewhere and those eggs are going to look relatively similar, like one of a, a handful of things. But like shooting the eggs is generic enough that like it's kind of like just like shooting enemies in a way that's like not too uh, like. So moment-to-moment gunplay is good enough that, like, just kind of generically shooting eggs is fine. And it also doesn't feel like you're – because the activity is generic, it doesn't feel like you're doing the same thing, if that makes sense. Does this make sense to you at all? Yeah, I think I know what you mean. It's kind of good procedural generation, in my opinion, right? right. I shit on procedural generation a lot. I think that, in general, it's sort of like an overused thing. This is part of my problem with, like, Starfield, when we were talking about Starfield, right? Um, when you procedurally generate a thousand planets, I don't – I like it just makes me not care right um i want to do honestly something like dark tide is good in this way in that it is like a carefully crafted experience that has sort of like art to it right um or like a mythic plus dungeon is this kind of way right um versus something where you know you like you just put a bunch of generic assets into a procedural generated um sort of like slurry right um the thing that makes it work here in my opinion is um the nature of the open it's that open world sort of nature in sure. dark tide all of the rewards really are kind of baked into the um are kind of like baked into the back of the mission right it is beat the mission that's where most of your rewards come from in helldivers it's it's everything, right? Like the idea is that you full clear, you go to your mission site, you do every little individual piece of the uh, the puzzle, right? Um, and I think that's part of what makes it kind of like special and what makes it sort of like work. Yeah. It's kind of giving you a forty five second slice of this like you know Assassin's Creed tower gameplay that's fun, but also you know gets out before it gets tedious, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you and you can also kind of like. Because the rewards are generic enough, it's not like you feel like you have to do every single one of them if you're not feeling it. Right? It's like, well, we can do like mm -hmm. half of them or whatever. We can just do the ones that we run across. Um, but the thing yeah, that, like when we when we fucked up so bad and we lost all of our reinforcements, just like getting churned by these like automatons or whatever, we just beelined the main objective and extracted, right? Yeah. And that's like a choice you get to make when you're you know out of control. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and the, the, the point I wanted to make is is, is 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 actually kind of the opposite of what you were saying, which is like, I think the genericness of some of the objectives is a strength here. And maybe it's because you do like a couple of generic objectives um, that in like in, in a string instead of doing like, you know, um, the same three like very detailed objectives. And also like bec like being generic enough that it's hard to recognize them as being exactly the same, right? Like, like. Like I said, when you're doing some of these missions in a dark tide, they feel like exactly the same or like the same enough that it like, you know, it doesn't feel like there is this corridor where like, you know, there's a horde of things attacking you and you need to like, you know, wait for a thing to charge. And you and occasionally the thing says, oh, no, it's been interrupted. Go like hit the console until it works again. Right. And it's the same three consoles and two of them are active in any in any individual run. And it looks exactly the same. Right. These egg pods, like, I've seen a couple that look the same, but there's just enough variety, and, like, the surrounding circumstances are different enough. They don't feel the same, even though they are mostly the same, if that makes sense. I think part of that's yeah. the open-world thing, right? Like, I, I think, like, the, you know, kill 131 automatons one, right? Like, I think that one gets samey really quick, because it is the exact same map, right? Like, the, you know, escorts of scientists to the middle building, I think... Those will get tired pretty quickly, but they're also kind of like they are shorter missions that are like you know in film missions in between the big explorey ones, right? And I think that that's how that works. Yeah, I also think that I'm not convinced that I will like this going for you know. Okay, I, I made a comparison to Far Cry before where I sort of said clearing an outpost in Far Cry sort of feels like clearing an outpost in this, and that's actually kind of not true because clearing an outpost in this. It's sort of just like everybody like whips big bomb stratagems into the thing and it blows up the outpost and you get a big, you know what I mean? Like the thing that makes outposts fun in Far Cry is you approach them as these like you can you're, you can do them a couple of different ways. You can be the one man Rambo army where you run in and you're just running and gunning and you have a bunch of different guys and they have cover and they're whipping grenades at you. And you need to be kind of, you know, like tactical about your movement, but you can also approach them sort of like stealthily. You can have a plan, right? Um, my favorite thing in these is, uh, have I ever talked about this before in the podcast? I like C4 in Far, Far in Far Cry games. I think C4 is very fun. What you do is you plant a bunch of C4 and then you set it all off at once and you kind of have this like Rube Goldberg machine that you have set up, right? When you put a bunch of C4 on a bunch of different pieces of the thing, you can just kind of like like hit the button and like let the outpost clear itself because you have C4 on the animal cage which releases the animals and it's going to go do this you have C4 on the on the gas tank which is going to blow up the thing you have C4 you have proximity mines where the cars that are going to reinforce the outpost are going to come in and they run over the proximity mines and you kill all the reinforcements it's like that's that's what's like fun about outposts in in Far Cry 5 i have there there there's nothing close to that when it has come to doing these outposts in um in Helldivers, right? Um, and maybe we'll get there. Maybe, like, that's, like, a difficulty thing um, or, you know, it's, like, a coordination thing. Maybe when you're doing the very highest level of missions with a coordinated group of, like, four guys, right, um, you know, you'll be in a situation where you're, you know, you've got your sniper doing Overwatch, right? You've got your big tanky shotgun yeah, boy who's going in and getting all the, you know, kind of, like, quote-unquote aggro, right? You know, you have people who are whipping grenades over the walls in order to clear out, you know, I don't know, like, whatever, whatever. Yeah, Maybe, like, like. <laughs> we'll get to a point where, like, you know, you can't afford to everybody whip your orbital strike at this, you know, tiny base because you, you are going to need that to deal with the enemies at some point. 
Um, yeah, and this is one of the things that I haven't. Um, I, I'm not sure if held like if Hell Divers will get there. When Hell Divers will get there. One of the things that's fun about you know like Dark Tide um, or some of these other sorts of games is the it's like the party composition and part of that is like being able to deal with different sort of enemies effectively right like when you are a sniper veteran you are built around killing elites and special enemies and you kind of ignore the riffraff the riffraff are for psychers right you know who are who do big wow you know wave crowd control they just do a lot of damage to a million different enemies all at once that kind of thing um or like veteran you know not, not veteran um uh like zealot preacher or something like care like a zealot preacher Carrying a chainsword is going to cut down all of the waves of enemies on his own. You don't need to worry about it. So you have different people who are sort of like specialized. And I wonder if Helldivers will kind of like get there for me or for us, depending on how um, you kind of like unlock guns and armor and all of that. There's other sort of stuff. Um, you know, who knows? Time will yeah. Talk. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, what other aspects of this game do do we want to talk? Let's, uh, let's I want to talk, talk about, the, about the lore. Yeah, the theming. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you you go ahead since you I know you talked about this yesterday. You know. You, 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 yeah. Okay. It? The something I've said in the podcast before. This may be one of the things I feel very vindicated about. Um, some of the things I've said about on the podcast before is that players constantly sort of assert that flavor doesn't matter. But it does, right? You know, this is something that was very true in the World of Warcraft Shadowlands days um, with Covenants. People were like, I should be able to swap Covenants whenever I want, right? And, um, you know, the, uh, like, tying player power to this theming is bad. And the logical sort of extension of this is this idea that, like, people play World of Warcraft because... They like hitting buttons and making number go up. And theoretically, you could replicate that just by having, by stripping all the flavor out, right? If you had a game and the game is just gray poly polygon people and your polygon people interact with, with abilities and the abilities are, aren't named, you know, mortal strike and overpower and execute their named, you know, ability one, ability two, ability three, you could replicate the entirety of the systems of World of Warcraft and strip out every aspect of flavor. And the game would be less fun. The game would be worse, right? The flavor matters. It's part of the package, right? And I think Helldivers is proof of that. Helldivers has this perfect sort of mix of tone between kind of like that, you know, like this, this like Ura, you know, like Starship Troopers kind of like satire of, yeah, of like, of like jingoistic kind of like patriotism. Um, and. It shows up in the smallest ways that are kind of unobtrusive, right? It'll be like a tip, you know. Um, most what, like what was, what are some of the tips that we've like seen? Friendly fire isn't, uh, you know. Yeah, it's it's stuff like that. It's like um, you know, uh, you can always uh, you know like you can always extract from a mission um, early <laughs> if you're a coward, right? Yes. Like you know, <laughs> like stuff like that, right? Um, and it helps it just helps the it helps the game right it connects players to sort of like the world in the lore in such a way that like being able to say you you said this thing yesterday when you were like it's nice to be able to say democracy right when i want to get people to play the game with me right um and i think that that's I do think that that's real. I think that yeah. that's like fun, right? In the same way that like I might when we're you know when we were talking about payday, um, I used to I would say let's go rob banks, 
right? Um, or in Dark Tide, right? We would say Emperor, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think all of that is sort of like a testament to kind of, you know, being able to sort of um, immerse yourself in whatever way in sort of the, the, the alternate headspace that the game wants you to kind of like get into. Yeah, no, I mean, like, and this game is good about it at, like, all levels, right? From, you know, giving the Helldivers capes, right? Which is just, it's like a, a flourish, but it's like a thing that kind of, like, sells is kind of, like, vaguely, like, you know, uh, like, Ubervention kind of, like, you know, vision, right? Plus, like, you know, like, when you drop out of the Hell Pods, right? Like, calling it Hell, right, even, right? Like, you know, when you drop out of the Hell Pods, it plays this, like, bombastic orchestral music like you're a war like you're in a war movie right like going to like you know yeah funnily part. enough it's not actually orchestral it is it's brass right uh, i i'm sorry i uh, just to explain this for a second this is when you think of man how do i explain this okay so i've talked about light motifs before right a light motif is a song that's a person that represents something like a noun like, like a person place or thing right so for instance the imperial march represents the 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 imposing authority of the empire in star wars right there are different ways that you can create sound. This is called timbre, right? The texture of a sound being made by a different instrument changes the 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 nature of the leitmotif. Um, one of the things that we associate with heroic leitmotifs, right, like the Superman theme or something like that, is big upbeat brass ensembles uh brass being trombones trumpets that kind of stuff and that's exactly what helldivers does it's essentially kind of like like the avengers theme is yeah. is in the the exact same it has the exact same timbre right um whereas something like uh what would be another example of like i don't know there are other there are other sort of like leitmotifs and themes that are using like different yeah. I guess uh, like electronic sounds. music sounds futuristic right like you know yeah oh uh, actually a good one would be um uh the like the the piccolo it's not a piccolo maybe it's just a, an actual flute or a clarinet the the piccolo or the clarinet for the shire theme in lord of the rings right that is like a very homey sound it's a safe sound you know like it is yeah. a uh, it it is it represents the idea of home to these hobbits who are humble right they have no ambition and they're not tempted by like the great sort of like whatever you know like the glory and triumph and honor that like the that you know like soldiers are right like that that has a very different feel than the bombastic sort of brass ensemble that plays when you are when you are dropping um and i feel like that is it's maybe the best game since well actually that's true i, I think dark tide is also very good at music but in a in much different way it's maybe the best game since overwatch to do this in my opinion yeah, um, I, I was going to say, I've been playing a lot of cyberpunk, and it, it has some of this, and a lot of that is kind of like, you know, it's electronic-y feeling music, and I don't think it's as good as Helldivers, right, but like, you know, kind of, this is more about kind of like cutting in and then cutting out with like, you know, the correct upbeat stuff, um, although there was a moment where I was like, what the fuck is playing? Uh, the other day, and it was like you know some like J-pop thing that was playing over the in-game radio. I'm like, I hate this. And so I switched <laughs> to like outrun style stuff. But like, yeah, I mean, it's you know, <laughs> it's funny because like I think a lot of uh, video game soundtracks for a long time is just like play a soundtrack in the background, loop it a bunch. That's kind yeah. of it. Um, but we have gotten better about Overwatch is the thing that I think started this trend in 2016, um, where Overwatch changed like adds or subtracts music from the background depending on 
what's going on. When you are close to a checkpoint, the music ramps up and creates this crescendo feeling of, oh my God, you know, we have 10 seconds to push the payload 50 meters or we lose kind of thing, right? Um, and then that kind of carries forward. Dark Tide, I obviously mentioned. Um, the thing I like about the music in Dark Side is that the music keys you into what's happening. So when a boss spawns, you hear the boss music first, right? And you go, oh my God. We, there's a you know there's a beast of Nurkle ahead right or when a horde spawn right you'll you'll hear that you know like that kind of music and I feel like we're at you know at this point in kind of like video game design we're kind of at like here Hell Divers was a bunch of this when you like you're about to extract and all that stuff I was the finals has this um, in a way that's like kind of like I don't think it's like perfect but it or I, don't, I don't even think it's super great it's just kind of like when a team is about to win it kind of like starts playing this like swelling music it's like oh we need to fucking like book it over there and kill those people right otherwise they're gonna win, yeah. the, win the round um i don't think it quite quite works it isn't quite working the way that i think they want it to it kind of like uh but like i think i think i think it's still a neat thing right if that makes sense yeah um but yeah no i think that's 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 very true like the, the theming in this game is is I think what's getting people to stay around, right? Like, you know, you see people on Reddit making, like, fake propaganda posters, right? Uh, you know, I, I I, am, like, like I said, 90% sure this is what kicked off the Starship Troopers kind of, like, conversation again. Discourse, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I absolutely think it was. Um, and I obviously, like... Uh, you know, I don't know. I have I have complicated feelings about sort of like all of this, right? Partially, it's that this is one of those situations where the term fascism is getting thrown around a lot, and I think most people aren't like even Starship Troopers itself kind of isn't fascist in a way. It's got um, it's got fascist trapping. But part of the problem is is that like there's a bunch of problems with it, and I don't like it's it's that there is a the, the movie does not, in its text, give you a reason to think that humanity is wrong, right? Like, um, like there might be, like, a thing in somewhere about, like, you know, we started it or whatever, but, like, there are a bunch of these bugs that are killing people, right? Like, they, they destroyed Buenos Aires. And, like, you know, people who, like, make defenses of it have to be like, well, maybe, actually, it was a false flag attack, but, like, there's nothing in the text to actually support that. That's the thing that people are making up with kind of. As well, a so that's a true. Well, it depends on the movie or the book. In the movie, technically speaking, it is actually the humans who, because it is Mormon settlers who settle outside of designated colonization zones that triggers the bugs to attack Buenos Aires, and then it like escalates from there. Is right. What's in the movie? But I also think that people misunderstand the movie because the movie isn't quite an indictment of humanity in like a direct sense. It, you know, the the quote that Paul Verhoeven gives. This people always say, oh, it's because Paul Verhoeven like says like the movie is like a satire of fascist fascism. The thing that Paul Paul Verhoeven says is that war makes fascism or makes fascists of all of us. And I wanted to make a movie where the fascists were at their best, or this, or he said the satire of the movie is the fascists are at their best, and the and the best thing that they do is kill bugs, right? And it is about the idea that like. There, this is not a this is not a grand society that has achieved you know I don't know like any of the other sort of like w what we might call markers of like transcendental living or 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 life. The only purpose of this society is to kill bugs, right? And that's what and that's the like the piece of it. But it's like 
I don't. I don't actually think people make that kind of argument when they talk about Paul Verhoeven and Starship Troopers. And yeah, no, and, and like you know, you are correct. The Mormons are what are what like start the thing. But like, there are people who like because even then, right? Like the the Mormons kind of doing that is maybe bad, but probably not deserving of like you know the new king of a city. And so I have like people be like, well, maybe it was a false flag attack on Buenos because you know, and like I think that that's mostly cope, right? Um, yeah. This is also a thing that like. Um, uh, there's this historian on Twitter, uh, or X formerly known as Twitter, Brett Devereaux, who's like, part of the issue with these movies that try and satire fascism is that it shows them being good at war. Historically, fascists aren't good at war, right? Like, you know. Uh, yeah, it's like one of the big myths about Nazi Germany is that the, the trains always ran on time. When they didn't, they were famously late always. There were tons yeah. and tons and tons of logistical issues to, you know, um, sort of the the kind of like the Nazi, like the Nazi war machine. Right, yeah. No, and there's, there's, uh, there's like a bunch of stuff in there too. Like the other criticism I've seen is that Paul Verhoeven never read Starship Troopers, so he didn't finish it, right? And like Heinlein was is is like a lot less is is a lot more of a fan of kind of like essentially giving yourself over to a sacrifice for a greater ideal, which like kind of cross pollinates with fascism a little bit, but isn't exactly that, right? Oh, that was Italy. Yeah, I mean, I, it's even funnier if it was Italy because Italy was famously like the the dead weight of the Axis, right? Who just kind of fell over at every possible opportunity in the face of you know British and American. Yeah, Italian sort of fascism soldiers. is also like characteristically different than like yeah. German fascism. Like all of like the worst stuff, right? Like um, of. German fascism is, like, arguably, like, not even, like, core fascist, right? Like, it's core kind of, like, you know, there's an argument that some of that came from, like, the American eugenics movement, right? Like, there are a bunch of people in Wisconsin who are big friends of Mr. Hitler up until, like, a certain point, right? Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, that yeah, like, uh, what's it? Charles Lindenberg was, like, the, yeah. the leader of the American fascist party, right? You know? Uh. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, like, like the, like, the, like, the height of kind of, like... Um, like it's 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 the it's progressive politics, but not like modern progressive politics. Don't want to be like and the progressives like, but like you know, Buck v. Bell, famous Supreme Court case, three generations of imbeciles is enough. Like like made basically eugenics like eugenics state level eugenics programs legal, right? Like you know this is a thing that uh, that happened and like is part of like the thing that's in the air, like it's kind of like a version of scientific racism that kind of gets transposed to Nazi Germany and like. There's some like weird like like Italian fascism has like like the member of the, the member of Jewish people who are members of the Italian fascist party they are like overrepresented in the Italian fascist party uh, among the general population because it didn't have that kind of like anti-Semitic aspect that German fascism did. Um, and my understanding yeah. is that Italian, the Italians kind of resisted a lot of that German influence until basically, you know, um, Hitler like sweeps in, makes Mussolini like a puppet, and like kind of like knocks over that entire that, that entire thing. Uh, but that's history and not not video games, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think the the overall point is like you know the idea that that uh, this sort of stuff glorifies fascism is like in a certain sense I want to say that is the point, right? Because the idea is that like the, the you know Starship Troopers or Hell Divers or you know like even like you might say like Warhammer Forty K though I have obviously very different thoughts about Warhammer Forty K. Um, these show a world where fascism is competent and effective, right? Yeah. Um, but the the satire is not in saying, hey, this thing is good, this thing is bad. The satire is in saying the only thing this, you know, like 
the 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 best this society can do is kill bugs, right? Like that. Yeah. That's what that Reward. that core of it is. Yeah, exactly. Is like the the piece that that matters. I guess I don't know. I would say I, like I would say what else is that matters in um in kind of like the the discussion. Like there are people who are saying the wild cope I have seen. I guess on on Twitter, formerly X, about sort of um you know the idea that like. I don't even know. I don't even know how to phrase this. The terminids are, I guess I would call them the indigenous population. You know, like I, I, I read a thread about a guy who was basically saying, what if we found, you know, sapient apes in the jungles of the Congo and we decided we wanted to colonize the Congo. And so we kill all the apes. I was like, what the, f like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like that meme with Walter White and Jesse from Breaking Bad. It's like, Jesse, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, yeah, they're, uh, yeah, maybe they are just animals, right? And you're, and you're just killing them. Maybe they are weirdly sapient and you're also just killing. It's like, I, I don't, who cares? They're like, they're space, they're space bugs. I don't understand. We're not going to reason with the space bugs. We can't do diplomacy with the space bugs. Like, right. Yeah. No, and like you know, what's like, what's the answer, right? Like, there's no, there's no indication that like, you know, that, like you said, it, it's cope, right? It's people inventing a reason to be mad at this game because like you know, people there are people that they don't like that are like you know very happy about this game, right? Like that, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I you know I think that it's just like there's a there's sort of like a greater you know I don't know there's like a certain like sixteen year old on Reddit's first media literacy that that comes across in this right where it's like for 40k this is why I brought up 40k 40k is explicitly horrifying right yeah it is an awful place you don't want to live in 40k this is a core piece of sort of like I would say 40k lore right um, it's almost a tragedy in a way that like the, the the imperium is set up the way it is because the emperor you know he hated religion or whatever but he himself has become deified right um and the whole and the whole of the imperium has become this kind of like you know i don't know fascist theocracy or whatever um <laughs> the only space book i want to do diplomacy with is kerrigan i yeah you know listen hey uh i i get that okay um with 40k People will make the point that, like, if you like 40K, you're supporting, like, fascism. And it's like, no, like, we're we're thinking, comprehending individuals. This is a dark, terrible, grimdark, awful place. I don't want to be a citizen of the fucking Imperium, right? It's not promoting fascist ideals or whatever because, like, I'm capable of understanding that that this is a bad – this is a bad thing. I don't want to – I don't want to live here kind of thing, even if it is a fun place to set games where I, you know, yeah. pop zits. Yeah, and it's fun to, like, play into the character even there, right? Like, you know, that doesn't – you know doesn't mean you endorse kind of like the underlying ideals, right? There's like neat lore, but like, you know, no, no one, no one wants to live in a hive city, right? Like, yeah. It's kind of like, it's like the idea that like Lord of the Rings turns people into like monarchists, right? Because like part of the underlying theming of Lord of the Rings is that when you restore the one true bloodline to the throne, right? Like the corruption of Denethor or, um, worm, worm tongue is that they are, you know, uh, they are, 
ignoble leaders, right? You know, who aren't, who don't deserve the throne in the same way the noble line of kings do. But it's like, I don't actually think any, Lord of the Rings doesn't actually turn people into fucking monarchists, right? Nobody's going, ooh, actually, you know, I read, I read Lord of the Rings and I, I gotta say, I have some real thoughts about fucking monarchy. Let's bring that back, right? Yeah, let's it's put like, Viggo Mortensen, Mortensen on the throne. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, right? Like, we are we are thinking capable beings of, you know, agency who can project into other sorts of, like, worlds and circumstances um, without necessarily, like, bringing some of the, the codified references back yeah, into, like, into this one. I feel like this is kind of like a, a version of um, presentism, right? Or, like, mm. well, what's, what is the word for it where it's, like, you know historical like like essentially judging the past by like the the, the morality of, of of the present no but, yeah presentism is i think okay. a pretty good um <laughs> i mean i have team replace the british monarchy with vigo that rocks you know listen fair enough okay i vigo mortensen i don't even think is british isn't he from new zealand <laughs> we can, you know they're they're still a member of the of like the commonwealth right yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, listen, he's still he's still in the in in the in the oh. empire, I guess. It says American um, actor on 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 here. Oh wow, okay, maybe he is American. So I he, thought Viggo Mortensen. He was born, or he's in New York. Uh, he was born in New York City. Wow, you know what? He is American, okay, and that's awesome. And he should be the king of England, okay. <laughs> I'm now on board with this. <laughs> uh, there's there's uh, he has. Danish citizenship, right? So like that that could okay. be a real a real coup. Um, yes, we uh, there was there's like a there's like an old movie that I haven't seen. It's like King Ralph. It's like the 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 uh, premise is that like a like the entire royal family is like taking a picture and they all die, and so like they find like this dude in like America that like uh, is like the the last piece of the bloodline. What one, one of the famously hot Danes? Yeah, you know, true, right? That actually is like a weird overrepresentation of the Danish for how small that country is, right? Um, in in like it, like Mads Mikkelsen is Danish. Um, all of the uh, the Skarsgårds uh, are Danish. Uh, the guy from you know Nikolai Kostar Kostai Waldau or whatever is Danish. The Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones, right? Just a lot of Danish actors, I guess. Yeah. Um. I, I, I might be misremembering this. But no, it's not Danish. It's Dutch. It's very close to English. Um, uh, I guess Danish kind of has this kind of like vague. The Danes have this kind of like vague super, super villainish thing to them. Maybe. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah, I guess they do have those accents, right? Um, yeah, it's like that make them. You know, the Scandinavian Scandinavian accents feel like vaguely, vaguely sinister for whatever reason. Um, oh, I'm actually lying. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård is actually Swedish. Yeah, okay. well, they're, they're all uh, you know, they're all cousins up there, right? Sometimes, literally, uh, the Nor the Norwegians, the Finn, or the Finn the Finns are actually probably the most distinct, right? They're like yeah. technically like, like Suomi or whatever. It's like a second. They're more they're more Slavic than Scandinavian. Yeah, yeah. like I guess you would say in like technical terms. Yeah, I, like I said, I think I think the peoples are called Suomi, and I think um, and I think it's like. A border culture between the Slavs and the, and, and the Scandinavians. Um, yeah, one of the famously hot Swedes. Yeah. Is is Stellan Skarsgård famously hot? I mean, I definitely know that his like kids are, but I mean, like Swedes are famously attractive. Right? Like, that's. Like, I that's guess like, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> we're talking about Alzheimer's. Now we're talking about famously hot yes. individuals. Yeah. <laughs> 
And Helldivers is why we know that Scandinavians are a traffic. Yes. Yeah. I'm definitely planning to play more Helldivers. We'll see, you know, how, um, uh, I don't know, how, how deep the Helldivers mines uh, kind of kind of go. So, yeah, it's uh, my that's like my final thought on Helldivers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how's your uh, how's your week been? How's my week been? I've been playing so much fucking humankind, Bango. It is. It's the dopamine mine. It's just I just go into the mines and I and I just mine the dopamine. I don't know why. I it is I'm turning around at it. Last week I was like, oh, I really like humankind. I think it's a good game. I actually kind of think it's a bad game again. But like in a way that like maybe I was sort of right when I said that all civ likes are kind of like weird and bad. It's just like you snowball so quickly in games like this um, that I don't know what I would do sort of like otherwise, right? Um, it seems like by the time that I get to, um, uh, by the time that, you know, you get to sort of like, maybe like the Renaissance or whatever, like you as a player are just like so effective. I've, I've bumped up the difficulty a bunch. Um, and to be fair, there's some interesting stuff that, that Helldivers, or not Helldivers, that Humankind does with difficulty that I like better than just raw Civ difficulty. Um, because the game isn't quite about racing. It is about getting the most points more so than it is about um racing completing to an end point. one of like yeah that yeah racing to an end point the end point matters because the game ends right but the you you have to have the most points when the game ends um and one of the weird things that has happened to me is um i'm pretty behind in points even though i'm the first person i'm the one racing to get the to, to game over right um but because i don't stick around in eras and farm points the way that the a that the higher level ais do um i actually um um i actually get um I'm I'm behind going kind of like into the end game and like obviously there's stuff that you can do to make up for it um, and I have sort of you know like kind of like done that in a way um, but you know I don't know yeah it just feels like no matter no matter what no matter how much I've I have like up to the difficulty and um, and sort of like changed my my sort of stuff um, the game I I I I get I reach that domineering place um and i get to the contemporary era which is like the final of the eras and i'm just like gonna steamroll everybody at this point because like i'm just so good part of this i think is that i really love warfare in the game fighting those battles scratches a particularly great itch that is so fun and i love it so much and it's probably just the best way to like be good at the game um is to um you i I basically just declare war as often as I possibly can, and I just constantly fight people. And when you can leverage that into even just money, there was a while where I was just farming people for money because you can you can just demand reparations and not take any territory or land or whatever. So you just you farm out war support, you take a bunch of territory, you take a bunch of money, and then you do that again when you you know farm out with like some more war support. You just leave your soldiers right on the front line and just keep plundering these guys for all of their for all of their cash um and i feel like maybe i'll try a pacifist run and see if it's still as 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 sort of fun to play um where all i'm doing is i'm just hanging out i'm not i'm not trying to i'm not i'm not doing the thing where but maybe this is really what it comes down to when you declare war really early and you can take an enemy city really early um that's a huge bonus i actually have kind of stopped settling my own cities because now my sort of play style is to just 
because I'm just fighting people all the time, I just take the, the my opponent's capital as at the earliest opportunity. And now I have two capitals, essentially, that are just like a powerhouse that, 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 that are these like powerhouses of kind of production. Right. Um, and, uh, I don't, it's not that it's easy to kind of like go from there, but I don't know. It yeah, I, I, is. I wonder if that's like a real balance problem, right? Like, you know, it's effectively the amount of effort you're putting in to take the capital is a lot less than you would to like build up a second capital. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and that kind of always has to be true, but like you, you kind of want it to be at a point where like, it's not necessarily true, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and I think that this might be the thing that is every single. I think in every single game I have played recently, because it's just really e it's really easy to get into wars with people, right? You can just fight people like all the time, which is honestly kind of fun. This is sort of like total wars like this, right? You know, you can just fight everybody all the time, and that's awesome, right? Um, but it's pretty common for me that the first thing I do is I kind of build a, a, a relatively stable power base, um, and then I immediately farm out kind of like two stacks of you know, units, um, and I just go to war, right? Uh, and, you know, when you go to war and you fight and you steal a bunch of gold and you steal a bunch of territory, um, you know, maybe that just doing that in, like, the the ancient era just catapults you so far, so much farther ahead than kind of, um, than kind of everybody else. The other thing is that I really like scaling stuff, um, and I sort of think that there, there were moments... There are moments in the game where I can lose, right? But because I like scaling sort of civilizations um, or sort of cultures is what they're called, right? Um, the difficulty is sort of front-loaded. And once you get past a certain point, you're scaling just like reaches a, 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 you know, like cruise control and you are far and away just like the number one kind of like person of the game, right? Um which is uh, which is different because there are certain there are certain cultures that are like momentarily good. They give you benefits that are useful right now, and you can, you know, you can carry those benefits forward to just like be, like kick the shit out of people. Um, or there or there are bonuses that are like you know you get a bunch of food. You get you know one of the ones I like is the Taino, um, who are <clears throat> you get a certain amount of food per the number of territories in your sphere of influence, right? Sphere of influence is sort of like uh, like culture, right? Um, if you have people in your culture. If you dominate a whole continent, as I've done, that is so much free food to every single city. It basically single-handedly solves my population problems. And I can just make mega, like gigantic mega cities off of this one cultural choice. But it's the kind of thing that you pick it in the medieval era and doesn't really pay off until like two eras later kind of thing. Um, and uh, and I think that, you know, I don't know, maybe just starting the game by immediately going to war with your neighbors and stealing their best city and ending the game with a bunch of scaling civilizations that all have bonuses that will see you through towards the very end of the game um, is kind of just like a combination that is built to, like, crack this thing wide open. And I have just, like, water found to crack my way into into victory in, in humankind. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I am on my fourth playthrough in like the past like two weeks now. <laughs> nice, nice. <clears throat> um, on my end, I have been playing um, uh, a bit of Cyberpunk and uh, Street Fighter as always. Um, Street Fighter, I'm pretty stuck at plat four for the moment. Um, the finals are actually, ha or I don't know if the grand finals are happening yet, but like the the um, the Capcom Cup is happening as we're speaking, essentially, right? It's been over the past couple of days. Um, 
I have not followed it directly. I, I will probably check out the grand finals whenever they are. I need to go figure that out. Unless they are happening right now. In which case, I will watch a replay. Um, uh, Cyberpunk's... Cyberpunk, I'm getting to the point where it's kind of like I'm doing too many side quests. I need to just kind of like go do the story. Um, uh, which is kind of what we're talking about with like this UB Towers problem. It's like, I gotta do everything. It's like, nah, not really. But there are some cool side stories. There always are, right? I, I enjoy uh, the way the game works. Um... Uh, although I do feel like I've gotten to the point where, like, doing stuff, like, the, the kind of transit rewards don't feel like a thing that I care about as much, right? Like, leveling up, like, I've kind of, like, hit my build and it's, like, a little, it's, like, very effective. And so I feel kind of fine with the way things are. Um, uh, but, yeah, otherwise, you know, I've been rotating between Helldivers and some WoW and Street Fighter and uh, Cyberpunk. I'm trying to push through Cyberpunk. Because when I'm done with Cyberpunk, I need to play Death Stranding because I want to beat Death Stranding by the time Death Stranding 2 comes out, whenever that comes out. So, um, so that's a weird game, and I'm interested in it. But yeah. I watched a GIF so many times on repeat of. <laughs> there was like a. There, there, it was a, it was, it was a tweet, I think, actually, maybe it was, or maybe it was like a TikTok that was like, I saw on Twitter or something like that, but it was just like, uh, we don't allow people to just be fucking idiots in games anymore, except for Kojima and Death Stranding, and the picture is of a guy who has loaded his bike with just literally every, like, package can, and he, like, hits a tiny rock <laughs> and just goes tumbling <laughs> forward. And everything goes flying. And it's just, it's just so funny to like look, to just like look at that, I guess. I don't know. I I also sort of want to play Death Stranding. I'm like a big believer in like Kojima, like theoretically. But like, fuck me. I've never played a Metal Gear Solid game. I say that's not true. I've like, I don't know. I've like fucked around with some of them. I don't understand Metal Gear Solid lore. I've never played, you know, like Death Stranding or whatever. Um, So I don't know. Maybe I will fuck around with, death stranding just to see what happens yeah no that that yeah no i mean and like you know the game is also like very silly right like i've been watching this trailer it's like there's a dude with like like a guitar that like does fire and then like there's a woman with like hands around her neck that like a light a cigarette for her which is like what what is happening right like um you know uh and Genius Kojumbo, right? Like I'm, I'm... <laughs> Yeah. How do you feel about uh Shadow of the Eird Tree? Are you are Oh, you uh, yeah, that's into... the thing. That got announced this week. Yeah, yeah. No, I am um, I need to figure out how I'm going to do that cuz like there's part of me that's like, "Oh, maybe I should just like start a fresh playthrough with like a different cuz like, you know, I played like a strength build the first time around. Um maybe I should try and do like another playthrough and see and like have fun with it and like, you know, like a more dexy build. Um uh, and part of me is like, I don't know if I want to go through all of that again, but maybe I will. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm excited for it, um, but, like, not so much that, like, I'm, like, pissing my pants about it, right? Like, I, I've kind of gotten to the point where, like, I am not hype about games until they're here. I've been good about that. Um, like the last, Interesting. The last game I, like, really, really highly anticipated was Street Fighter Six, which is good, right? Like, you know, it, it met my expectations, but, like... You know, it's like, oh, Dragon's Dogma's coming out soon. I will check that out when it happens, right? I was going to check out Tekken 8. I still have it just because, like, I'm happy with Street Fighter 6 as my fighting game, right? Um, 
Uh, Are you, do you think you, you're ever going to get into, I don't know, did, did you ever really get into like the position where you were like taking days off work to do, to do games? Yes. Am I? Um, I have. Um, when was the, when was like the last time you did that? <clears throat> I honestly, I, I don't quite remember, but I can say that I was planning on taking a day off for, um, for the release of the next CK3 expansion. But by uh, by sheer coincidence, um, I'm getting a day off the Friday after at least. So I'm like, I'll just do that. Um, uh, yeah, like I'm probably going to take some time off for like the new WoW expansion probably. Yeah, uh, it, might, like, it might have been the last WoW expansion, right? Like that's – Yeah. Those tend to be the, 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 the ones. Um, just because like there's no like – there's no blockbuster that I am so hyped for that I feel like I really – need to get especially because like a lot of the games that i think are going to be really neat are like online games and those taking a day off for launch date is probably a mistake right like you know it probably won't work um yeah like if we had done that for hell divers right we would have just been stuck in like some like server queue for yeah, 8, no, thousand uh, years it didn't even have a queue <clears throat> the first time we tried to play it was like booted it up it's like servers are full and like it would try again we didn't put you in a queue just like you know I just said servers were full. Get fucked, if, idiot! Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you happen to hit it at the right, like you know, it would put you on a timer, but the timer wasn't keeping you in order. It's just like checking at the moment that you, that it timed out. If like there was room, it was like no, no more room. Still, um, uh, so yeah, that's 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 a big a big part of it for me. It doesn't stop me from like pre-ordering certain games, right? Like I pre-ordered the CK3 ex expansion. Um, sure. Uh, but like. Um, and I'm, I've learned, I kind of learned this, I will say, is that, like, pretty consistently, the games I'm having the most fun with are not the ones I anticipate. It's the ones that kind of, like, you know, show up and, like, you know, are critically acclaimed and then I go pick them up, right? Like, that was Baldur's Gate. That was Helldivers, right? Like, I got into it because other people were getting into it. Um, mm. I think part of that is, like, a lot of my value from games now is kind of the social aspect. Um, and kind of like the better single player experiences are maybe better off, like held off until they're like in a final state anyway. Right. Uh, yeah, that's definitely very interesting. It's, it's funny because like, I kind of feel like I have three different modes of gameplay at the moment. I have, um, I guess I would call them the social games, right? The game as conduit for social, um, interactions with people right wow is like this this is a part of my you know like the web of my social life and so i play wow to connect with people then i have single player games that i play as like relaxation which is like humankind is kind of like this right you know it is i guess i would say challenging enough that, or maybe challenging is the wrong word interesting enough that it like holds my attention but i'm also just like fucking around you know like i'm watching the venture brothers on kind of like my other screen or something uh, kind of along those lines and then there are true single player experiences that i want to experience as you know i don't know like a uh like a thing right you know so i have played a couple of games like that recently but i don't know that i want to I guess I don't know that I want to talk about them. <laughs> it's like uh, you know, some of the the games that I work on fall in this in this category, right? Cryptmaster is like the example of this. I've been playing Cryptmaster internally, um, and I'm part of this is me focusing on what the game is and what it's doing and the way it holds my attention. And I think those are kind of like the three modes that I that I play games in um, sort of these days. Uh, and I, I don't know, it's uh, not 
it's it's interesting to think that certain games fall into certain other sort of um I don't know categories. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely feel that, and I think I think I fall into the same type of thing, and I think for me a big part of the differentiation is like the single player games and playing a single player games, either have to be interesting enough that I'm compelled by the story, or like challenging enough that I don't get bored with them. Right, like Elden Ring is definitely that latter. I mean, it doesn't have interesting story beats, but it's like I never got to the point where I felt like I was trivially going through things. I am kind of at that point with Cyberpunk, right, where like. A lot of the encounters feel trivial, and I feel like I'm cleaning up markers to clean up markers, and I need to stop doing that and do the story, um, and like get to Phantom Liberty and do that, um, even if I miss some of the side content that I enjoyed in my previous playthrough. Um, uh, whereas, whereas on the other hand, there are things like Chance of Sinar or South South Scrimshaw, which are games talked about during the Derpies, which are like games that I want to like experience the story of, right? Like I I have Outer Wilds that I never finished, so I want to go back and do that. Um, that are like less about the gameplay, even or not less about the gameplay. There are neat things that the gameplay is doing, right? Like Chance of Sinar did some very cool stuff with the gameplay, but like the thing that drives me is like the uniqueness. They're not kind of like the raw challenge of it, right? It's not like it's not like Street Fighter where I'm playing a competitive game and trying to build up, right? Like um, I'm playing a uh, uh, a single play, like you know, I'm, I'm playing the game to uh, like to experience unique mechanics, but not in a way that's kind of like uh, like a mechanical challenge. At least maybe it's like a mental challenge thing, right? Like it's like a puzzle. <clears throat> yeah. Like I really enjoyed um, Return of the Oberdin. Still want to like a standout even years later, right? Like I can never play that game again because it's based on kind of like solving mysteries, right? Um, and like maybe never but I can never play that game for the first time again is a better way to put that right like you know I can never experience the wonder there um especially because the things that like like I could go back and probably still get some fun out of it because I don't remember everything but I'm gonna remember the things that caught me up the most and so like that's the things like oh well I guess that's that's the thing there um uh but like and that's why like something like Elden Ring is the thing I'm interested in going back to because it's a mechanical challenge and there's a different way to play that game that I haven't done yet and I'm theoretically interested in that um, yeah. Uh, whereas, like Cyberpunk, as soon as I finish this playthrough, I don't think I'm ever going back. Not because I don't think it's a good game, but just because, like you know, I don't feel like the depth of the challenge there is enough to like continue. Like I'm I'm bored of the gameplay essentially. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that. Yeah, that's definitely. I don't know, man. Am I, is that is that what's happening to me in humankind? Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. I, I like humankind might be interesting the thing to do a multiplayer game on because like that's like the kind like this is my standard thing about these turn based strategy games, right? Is like um I need human players to kind of like hone my steel against in order for me to find it super interesting. Um Yeah, it's also interesting because one of the things about humankind that I like is that you can't just go to war with people for no reason. You have to build war support and wars are about managing war support, right? Um, so I, one of the things that was interesting about this playthrough was I was fighting a, I was fighting a, I was in another, I was in another empire sphere of influence. And when you are in another empire sphere of influence and you declare war on them, you take negative war support every turn. So you're fighting this uphill battle, trying to get more and more of it, um, so that you can end the, so that you can draw, cause you, when their war support hits zero, you can force them to surrender. When your war support hits zero, they can force you to surrender. Right. And that's like not something that you can do in Civ, right? In yeah. Civ, you can just go, you can just fight people, you can just do whatever, right? Um, 
and maybe there i don't know there, there might be like war weariness kind of like rules that i don't that i don't remember i haven't played civ 6 in so long um but uh but yeah so my thinking for um my thinking for humankind is that managing the war support aspect of things uh like really sort of like i don't know it, it really sort of matters uh but one of the other things that you can do is you can like make demands of people and that can like build or you know your war support and so i got to this point where i kept um and there's honestly a really unintentional interaction where when you get peace with someone, you can instantly make demands that their armies stop trespassing, right? So what happens is, and this is kind of an exploit, I sort of just let their armies sit in my territory um, and I force peace on them. And then I immediately make a ton of demands for trespassing. I say, hey, give me 5,000 gold for each of these armies that is that is like trespassing or whatever, right? And then they don't acquiesce to those demands and now I'm building war support again and now I can just repeat the cycle again and again. Um, obviously, I think that with a human player, you could ride that out a little bit more. A human player... A human player might be able to do some like interesting kind of like complex things with kind of like war support and and all that other sort of stuff, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it is like a multiplayer sort of uh, like two two humans fighting and doing stuff would be a more interesting way to approach things. Yeah, no, no, that that makes that makes sense. Like I'm thinking about like that sounds like CK three in a lot of ways, right? Like oh yeah, the, you know, like the the war score isn't exactly the same thing, but like the way they solve it is that like you know you're on a ten year peace treaty once you end the war, and uh, and um. And, like, you know, your soldiers don't, like, you don't have that kind of, like, um, soldiers in a strange land type of problem uh, immediately. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, also in CK3, the way, like, armies work is a little different, right? Yeah. Like, I in, in a Civ-like game, destroying enemy armies is incredibly valuable because it represents setting someone back in terms of the opportunity cost of the production, right? Like, if it took you... 20 turns to put together a six-person army and I stack wipe that army, I have forcibly wasted 20 turns of my opponent, right? On top of all of the population that, that goes into it. That's kind of true in CK3, um, but not as much, yeah. right? Because, like, you know, the, a lot of those things are decoupled from, yeah. from one another, so it's not like, you know, you need to be dedicating essentially, like, raw production value towards your armies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um... All right. Well, we're at the hour and a half. I think that's every. Did you want to talk about anything else? Or should we punch out? No, I'm I'm good. Let's punch the fuck out. Buddy. All right. Let's. Uh, if you'd like to uh, uh, talk to us about anything we talked about in the podcast, you can listen to Dripsplaygames at gmail.com or podcasts.dripsplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash games or youtube.com slash games, but these go out live. Um, links are down in the description. Uh, that's basically everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything you're looking to promote? I have nothing that I am looking to promote at this moment. All right. Well, I'm going to say then, uh, until next time, loyal listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. Wait, you said dear listeners. Yeah. I say loyal listeners. Yeah, I, I said it backwards. I screwed it up. Or was I supposed to say dear listeners? I don't know. I don't no, know. I, 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 listen, I kinda... I'm, you know what? I'm gonna, you're wrong. I'm right. I said my thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. Dear listeners, goodbye. Okay.